This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit www.librivox.org. Today's reading by Alex Foster. www.alexfoster.me.uk. Childhood, by Leo Tolstoy. Chapter Four. Lessons. Karl Ivanitch was in a bad temper. This was clear from his contracted brows and from the way in which he flung his frock coat into a drawer, angrily donned his old dressing gown again, and made deep dints with his nails to mark the place in the book of dialogues which we were to learn by heart. Volodya began working diligently, but I was too distracted to do anything at all. For a long while I stared vacantly at the book, but tears at the thought of the impending separation kept rushing to my eyes and preventing me from reading a single word. When at length the time came to repeat the dialogues to Karl, who listened to us with blinking eyes, a very bad sign, I had no sooner reached the place where someone says, "Wo kommen Sie her? Where do you come from?" and someone else answers him, "Ich komme vom Kaffeehaus." I come from the coffee house. Then I burst into tears and, for sobbing, could not pronounce at all. Haben Sie die Zeitung nicht gelesen? Have you not read the newspaper? Next, when we came to our writing lesson, the tears kept falling from my eyes and making a mess on the paper, as though someone had written on blotting paper with water. Karl was very angry. He ordered me to go down upon my knees, declared that it was all obstinacy and puppet comedy playing, a favourite expression of his, on my part, threatened me with the ruler and commanded me to say I was sorry. Yet for sobbing and crying, I could not get the word out. At last, conscious perhaps that he was unjust. He departed to Nicholas's pantry and slammed the door behind him. Nevertheless, their conversation there carried to the schoolroom. Have you heard that the children are going to Moscow, Nicola? Said Karl. Yes. How could I help hearing it? At this point, Nicola seemed to get up, for Karl said, "Sit down, Nicola," and then locked the door. However, I came out of my corner and crept to the door to listen. However much you may do for people, and however fond of them you may be. Never expect any gratitude, Nicola," said Karl warmly. Nicola, who was shoe cobbling by the window, nodded his head in assent. Twelve years I have lived in this house," went on Karl, lifting his eyes and his snuff box towards the ceiling. "And before God, I can say that I have loved them and worked for them even more than if they had been my own children. You can recollect, Nicola, when Volodya had the fever. You recollect how, for nine days and nights, I never closed my eyes as I sat beside his bed." Yes, at that time I was the dear, good Karl Ivanitch. I was wanted then, but now—and he smiled ironically—the children are growing up and must go to study in earnest. Perhaps they never learnt anything with me, Nicola, huh? I'm sure they did," replied Nicola, laying his awl down and straightening a piece of thread with his hands. No, I am wanted no longer, and am to be turned out. What good are promises and gratitudes, Natalia Nikolaevna? Here he laid his hand upon his heart. I love and revere, but what can she do here? Her will is powerless in this house. He flung a strip of leather on the floor with an angry gesture. Yet I know who has been playing tricks here and why I am no longer wanted. It is because I do not flatter and toady as certain people do. I am in the habit of speaking the truth in all places and to all persons. He continued proudly, "God be with these children, for my leaving them will benefit them little, whereas I." Well, by God's help, I may be able to earn a crust of bread somewhere, Nicola.、Eh? 
Nicola raised his head and looked at Carl as though to consider whether he would indeed be able to earn a crust of bread, but he said nothing. Carl said a great deal more of the same kind, in particular how much better his services had been appreciated at a certain general's where he had formerly lived. I regretted to hear that. Likewise he spoke of Saxony, his parents, his friend the tailor, Schoenheit, which is beauty, and so on. I sympathised with his distress, and felt dreadfully sorry that he and Papa, both of whom I loved about equally, had had a difference. Then I returned to my corner, crouched down upon my heels, and fell to thinking how a reconciliation between them might be effected. Returning to the study, Carl ordered me to get up and prepare to write from dictation. When I was ready, he sat down with a dignified air in his armchair, and in a voice which seemed to come from a profound abyss, began to dictate. Von allen Leidenschaften die grausamste ist have you written that? He paused, took a pinch of snuff, and began again, Die grausamste is die undankbarkeit, which means the most cruel of all passions is ingratitude. Capital U, mind. The last word written, I looked at him, for him to go on. Punctum, full stop, he concluded, with a faintly perceptible smile, as he signed to us to hand him our copy-books. Several times, and in several different tones, and always with an expression of the greatest satisfaction did he read out that sentence, which expressed his predominant thought at the moment. Then he set us to learn a lesson in history, and sat down near the window. His face did not look so depressed now, but, on the contrary, expressed eloquently the satisfaction of a man who had avenged himself for an injury dealt him. By this time it was of a quarter to one o'clock, but Karl Ivanitch never thought of releasing us. He merely set us a new lesson to learn. My fatigue and hunger were increasing in equal proportions, so that I eagerly followed every sign of the approach of luncheon. First came the housemaid with a cloth to wipe the plates. Next the sound of crockery resounded in the dining-room as the table was moved and chairs placed round it. After that, Mimi, Lubotchka and Katenka—Katenka was Mimi's daughter and twelve years old—came in from the garden, but Foka, the servant who always used to come and announce luncheon, was not yet to be seen. Only when he entered was it lawful to throw one's books aside and run downstairs. Hark! Steps resounded on the staircase. But they were not Fokker's. Fokker's I had learned to study, and knew that the creaking of his boots well. The door opened, and a figure unknown to me made its appearance. End of chapter 4 Chapter 5 The Idiot The man who now entered the room was about fifty years old with a pale, attenuated face pitted with smallpox, long grey hair, and a scanty beard of a reddish hue. Likewise he was so tall that on coming through the doorway he was forced not only to bend his head, but to incline his whole body forward. He was dressed in a sort of smock that was much torn, and held in his hand a stout staff. As he entered he smote this staff upon the floor, and contracting his brows and opening his mouth to its fullest extent, laughed in a dreadful, unnatural way. He had lost the sight of one eye, and its colourless pupil kept rolling about and imparting to his hideous face an even more repellent expression than it otherwise bore. "'Hello, you are caught!' he exclaimed as he ran to Volodar with little short steps, and seizing him round the head, looked at it searchingly. Next he left him, went to the table, and with perfectly serious expression on his face, began to blow under the oilcloth and to make the sign of the cross over it. "'Oh, oh, what a pity! Oh, oh, how it hurts! They are angry, they fly from me!' 
he exclaimed in a tearful, choking voice, as he glared at Volada and wiped away the streaming tears with his sleeve. His voice was harsh and rough, all his movements hysterical and spasmodic, and his words devoid of sense or connection, for he used no conjunctions. Yet the tone of that voice was so heart-rending, and his yellow deformed face at times so sincere and pitiful in its expression, that, as one listened to him, it was impossible to repress a mingled sensation of pity, grief, and fear. This was the idiot Grisha. Whence he had come, or who were his parents, or what had induced him to choose the strange life which he led, no one ever knew. All that I myself knew was that from his fifteenth year upwards he had been known as an imbecile who went barefooted both in winter and summer, visited convents, gave little images to anyone who cared to take them, and spoke meaningless words which some people took for prophecies. That nobody remembered him as being different, that at rare intervals he used to call at Grandmama's house, and that by some people he was said to be an outcast son of rich parents and a pure saintly soul, while others averred that he was a mere peasant and an idler. At last the punctual and wished-for Fokker arrived, and we went downstairs. Grisha followed us, sobbing and continuing to talk nonsense, and knocking his staff on each step of the staircase. When we entered the drawing-room we found Papa and Mamma walking up and down there, with their hands clasped in each other's, and talking in low tones. Maria Ivanovna was sitting bolt upright in an armchair placed at right angles to the sofa, and giving some sort of lesson to the two girls sitting beside her. When Karl Ivanitch entered the room, she looked at him for a moment, and then turned her eyes away with an expression that seemed to say, "'You are beneath my notice, Karl Ivanitch.' It was easy to see from the girls' eyes that they had important news to communicate to us as soon as an opportunity occurred, for to leave their seats and approach us first was contrary to Mimi's rules. It was for us to go to her and say, "'Bonjour, Mimi,' and then make her a low bow." after which we should possibly be permitted to enter into conversation with the girls. What an intolerable creature that Mimi was! One could hardly say a word in her presence without being found fault with. Also, whenever we wanted to speak in Russian, she should say, Parlez donc français, as though on purpose to annoy us, while, if there was any particular nice dish at luncheon which we wished to enjoy in peace, she would keep ejaculating, Mangez donc avec du pain, or Comment est-ce que vous tenez votre fourchette? What has she got to do with us? I used to think to myself. Let her teach the girls. We have our Karl Ivanitch. I shared to the full his dislike of certain people. Ask Mamma to let us go hunting too, Katenko whispered to me, as she caught me by the sleeve just when the elders of the family were making a move towards the dining room. Very well, I will try. Grisha likewise took a seat in the dining room, but at a little table apart from the rest. He never lifted his eyes from his plate, but kept on sighing and making horrible grimaces as he muttered to himself, "'What a pity! It has flown away! The dove is flying to heaven! The stone lies on the tomb!' and so forth. Ever since the morning Mamma had been absent-minded, and Grisha's presence, words, and actions seemed to make her more so. "'By the way, there is something I forgot to ask you,' she said, as she handed Papa a plate of soup. "'What is it?' "'That you will have those dreadful dogs of yours tied up.' They nearly worried poor Grisha to death when he entered the courtyard, and I'm sure they will bite the children some day. No sooner did Grisha hear himself mention that he turned towards our table and showed us his torn clothes. Then, as he went on with his meal, he said, He would let them tear me in pieces, but God would not allow it. What a sin to let the dogs lose, a great sin! But do not beat him, master, do not beat him. It is for God to forgive. It is past now. 
"'What does he say?' said Papa, looking at him gravely and sternly. "'I cannot understand him at all.' "'I think he is saying,' replied Mamma, "'that one of the huntsmen set the dogs on him, "'but that God would not allow him to be torn in pieces. "'Therefore he begs you not to punish the man.' "'Oh, is that it?' said Papa. "'How does he know that I intended to punish the huntsman?' "'You know, I am not very fond of fellows like this,' he added in French, "'and this one offends me particularly. "'Should it ever happen that—' "'Oh, don't say that,' interrupted Mamma, as if frightened by some thought. "'How could you know what he is?' "'I think I have plenty of opportunities for doing so, "'since no lack of them come to see you. "'All of them are the same sort, and probably all with the same story.' "'I could see that Mamma's opinion differed from his, "'but that she did not mean to quarrel about it. "'Please hand me the cakes.' she said to him. "'Are they good to-day, or not?' "'Yes, I am angry,' he went on, as he took the cakes and put them where Mamma could not reach them. "'Very angry at seeing supposedly reasonable and educated people let themselves be deceived.' And he struck the table with his fork. "'I asked you to hand me the cakes,' she repeated with outstretched hand. "'And it is a good thing,' Papa continued, as he put the hand aside, "'that the police run such vagabonds in.' All they are good for is to play upon the nerves of certain people who are already not over-strong in that respect. And he smiled, observing that Mamma did not like the conversation at all. However, he handed her the cakes. "'All that I have to say,' she replied, "'is that one can hardly believe that a man who, though sixty years of age, goes barefooted winter and summer, and always wears chains of two pounds weight, and never accepts the offers made to him to live a quiet, comfortable life, it is difficult to believe that such a man should act thus out of laziness. Pausing a moment, she added with a sigh, As to predictions, je suis payé pour y croire. I told you, I think, that Grisha prophesied the very day and hour of poor papa's death. Oh, what have you gone and done? said papa, laughing and putting his hand to his cheek. Whenever he did this, I used to look for something particularly comical from him. "'Why did you call my attention to his feet? "'I looked at them, and now can eat nothing more.' Luncheon was over now, and Lubotshka and Katenka were winking at us, fidgeting about in their chairs, and showing great restlessness. The winking, of course, signified, "'Why don't you ask whether we two may go to the hunt?' I nudged Voloda, and Voloda nudged me back, until at last I took heart of grace, and began, at first shyly, but gradually with more assurance, to ask if it would matter much if the girls too were allowed to enjoy the sport. Thereupon a consultation was held among the elder folks, and eventually leave was granted, Mamma to make things still more delightful, saying that she would come too. End of chapter 5 Chapter 6 Preparations for the Chase During dessert, Jackoff had been sent for, and orders given him to have ready the carriage, the hounds, and the saddle-horses, every detail being minutely specified, and every horse called by its own particular name. As Voloda's usual mount was lame, Papa ordered a hunter to be saddled for him, which term, hunter, so horrified Mamma's ears that she imagined it to be some kind of an animal which would at once run away and bring about Voloda's death. Consequently, in spite of all Papa's and Voloda's assurances, the latter glibly affirming that it was nothing and that he liked his horse to go fast, poor Mamma continued to exclaim that her pleasure would be quite spoilt for her. When luncheon was over, the grown-ups had coffee in the study, while we younger ones ran into the garden and went chattering amongst the undulating paths, with their carpet of yellow leaves. 
We talked about Volodas riding a hunter, and said what a shame it was that Lobotchka could not run as fast as Katenka, and what fun it would be if we could see Grisha's chains, and so forth. But of the impending separation we said not a word. Our chatter was interrupted by the sound of the carriage driving up, with a village urchin perched on each of its springs. Behind the carriage rode the huntsman with the hounds, and they again were followed by the groom Ignat, on the steed intended to have Voloda, with my old horse trotting alongside. After running to the garden fence to get a sight of all these interesting objects, and indulging in a chorus of whistling and hallowing, we rushed upstairs to dress, our one aim being to make ourselves look as much like huntsmen as possible. The obvious way to do this was to tuck one's breeches inside one's boots. We lost no time over it at all, for we were in a hurry to run to the entrance steps again, there to feast our eyes upon the horses and hounds, and have a chat with the huntsman. The day was exceedingly warm, while, though clouds of fantastic shapes had been gathering on the horizon since morning, and driving before a light breeze across the sun, it was clear that for all their menacing blackness they did not really intend to form a thunderstorm and spoil our last day's pleasure. Moreover, towards afternoon some of them broke, grew pale and elongated, and sank to the horizon again, while others of them changed to the likeness of white transparent fish scales. In the east over Maslovska a single lurid mass was lowering but Karl Ivanitch, who always seemed to know the ways of the heavens, said that the weather would still continue to be fair and dry. In spite of his advanced years, it was quite a sprightly manner that Fokker came out to the entrance steps, to give the order, drive up. In fact, as he planted his legs firmly apart, and took up his station between the lowest step and the spot where the coachman was to halt, his mien was that of a man who knew his duties, and had no need to be reminded of them by anybody. Presently the ladies also came out, and after a little discussion as to seats and the safety of the girls, all of which seemed to me wholly superfluous, they settled themselves in the vehicle, opened their parasols, and started. As the carriage was driving away, Mamma pointed to the hunter, and asked nervously, "'Is that the horse intended for Vladimir Petrovitch?' On the groom answering in the affirmative, he raised her hands in horror and turned her head away. As for myself, I was burning with impatience. Clambering on to the back of my steed, I was just tall enough to see between its ears, I proceeded to perform evolutions in the courtyard. "'Mind you don't ride over the hounds, sir,' said one of the huntsmen. "'Hold your tongue. It's not the first time I have been one of the party,' I retorted with dignity. Although Voloda had plenty of pluck, he was not altogether free from apprehensions as he sat on the hunter. Indeed, he more than once asked as he patted it, is he quiet? He looked very well on horseback, almost a grown-up young man, and held himself so upright in the saddle that I envied him, since my shadow seemed to show that I could not compare with him in looks. Presently Papa's footsteps sounded on the flagstones. The whip collected the hounds, and the huntsmen mounted their steeds. Papa's horse came up in charge of a groom. The hounds of his particular leash sprang from their picturesque attitudes to fawn upon him, and Milka, in a collar studded with beads, came bounding joyfully from behind his heels to greet and sport with the other dogs. Finally, as soon as Papa had mounted, we rode away. End of chapter 6 Recorded in Nottingham, England, on the 16th of January 2006 By Alex Foster www.alexfoster.me.uk